Well, welcome to Ashley Park. Uh, my name is Ed Martin, and I'm so glad you're here to be with us uh, today for this series, Preparing for the Best Christmas Ever. If you and I were sitting and I were to tell you about what I think makes uh, the best Christmas ever, it's probably not going to have anything to do with gifts, and that's because I'm just not a gift kind of guy. It's not that I don't get gifts. It's not that I don't like gifts. It's just that I couldn't tell you what I got last Christmas or any of the other Christmases, even back when I was a kid. And it's not that there was something wrong with Christmas like that for me. It's just that they've never really, they never stuck with me. Um, but there has was one gift when I was a young adult that uh, it still resonates with me. Some of you have heard me talk about my life when I was younger, and the way I try to keep it shorthand for people is uh, the first part of my life, I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, and I really didn't care who got hurt, and uh, pretty much the person that got hurt the most was me. Now, that's normally what I say, but that's not the complete truth because the other people that got hurt were the people that were unfortunate enough to love me, the people closest to me, my family, they got hurt too. And right in the middle of all this caused chaos and destruction, Jesus, who had never stopped looking for me, he found me. And when I saw him and what he offered, I wanted, I wanted him. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to follow him. And not because I was scared of hell or what my life had done. I, I, it wasn't even eternal life for me. It was life. I wanted my life to be better. And so as I began to follow Jesus, my life did get better. And that led to better relationships, particularly with my family. So that very first Christmas after that, I, I can tell you right now where I was in my parents' house, uh, where my dad was sitting at the Christmas tree, where my mom was, where I was sitting. We had already opened a bunch of gifts. And then uh, my dad handed me a small little package. And uh, it wasn't the biggest gift I got. It probably certainly wasn't the most uh, one that they spent the most money on. And when I opened it, I saw that it was a plaque, and on the plaque, it, it had uh, our name, Martin, at the top of it, and then there was some prose that was written, and uh, I could quote it to you word for word, but you don't really care. The gist of it was, is that my mom and dad were proud that I was going to be carrying their name, and it was very emotional to me. It's still emotional to me when I think about it, and the reason was is because it hadn't been that long before that that I could remember having conversations with them where they'd talk about what an embarrassment I was to them and how hard it was for them to be in our small town and people to know that I was their son. But now uh, I looked at this gift and I began to cry and I looked at them and I said, thank you. And they said, you know, you're welcome. And later I would think back and I'd realize it wasn't as significant for them as it was for me because for me it was that they were with me that I was with them and that we were together, and it really moved me, and, and it still does. So for me, the best Christmas ever has always been about being in the presence of people that really, really matter to me. So we've been in this series talking about how to prepare for the best Christmas ever, and on week one, we said, hey, there are practices and things we want to do uh, to honor uh, the one we followed, Jesus, and on that first week, we launched our Do Something initiative, which is sort of a tradition for us, and we said, hey, if everybody will just give $39.95, uh, we'll collectively take that money and partnering together uh, with an organization called RIP Medical Debt. We'll all take the money together, and 
Anticipating about what we normally can expect to give, if everybody were to participate, we'd get about $40,000. And we'd take that, which is a significant amount, but not as significant of what we could do. We'd take that amount, that small amount, would then be multiplied, and we could then relieve $4 million of medical debt. And I'm so thankful for what some of you have done. Many of you have joined in with the $39.95. Others have joined in with thousands of dollars, literally thousands of dollars, which I don't think you have that many kids and your family, but we're thankful for what we're doing. And we're probably about three quarters of the way, maybe not quite that amount, to the goal. And so if you haven't had a chance, uh, there's the website that you can give. No pressure, just the opportunity for us to honor Jesus by releasing captives from debt, which is what he came to do. Then last week, Jason said, hey, another practice that would really help us is if we decided we would include people that we can just go to, to even people we don't know very well and as we listen to relational cues, the three knots, uh, the Christmas edition, that we could hear people give cues that they weren't uh, you know, ready for something or they weren't going to church and we could say, hey, come sit with me, come, come be with me at a Christmas Eve service and we're going to have a great time together and if you would invite them to come, it would be even better as you include them to be a part of this celebration that remembers the one. And again, I'll just say, uh, many, many of you are doing that. At our Sharpsburg campus, they've just about given out all the invite cards. Uh, in fact, we had to order more because so many have gone. So I urge you at Ashley Park, look in your cup holder right now, grab those invite cards and take them this week and give them to somebody and say, hey, come sit with me at a Christmas Eve service. Now, today in week three of this, as we prepare for the best Christmas ever, I want to talk to you about this this gift of presence, that the present we can give to people as we prepare for the best Christmas is being present. Now, you may or may not know this, but one of the things about Christmas is that idea that God has come to be present with us, that it's, we're always in God's presence, God's everywhere, but that on Christmas we celebrate uh, the fulfillment of a prophecy about Jesus. In fact, here's what one of the writers of Jesus' uh, life said about him. He said, um, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And that means God is with us. So at the center of our celebration of Christmas is this idea that God, who is always everywhere, has physically come to be with people. So... With all of that in mind, I want to talk to you about this idea of the present, of being present with people. That what makes Christmas what it is, is that God came to be present with us, and that the best gift often we can offer people is by being present with them. Give them the present of our presence. So, now, hang with me, because what I need to get at, uh, I, need to, I need to get at by really shifting without a clutch. So hang on for a second. I want to talk to you about something, and I think you're going to get where I'm going on this, but I don't really have time to do it very subtly. So what I want to do is in just the next few moments, I want to show you something that's a project that a guy named uh, Eric Pickersgill has been doing uh, for the last five years. He is a photographer, and he's offering a little bit of editorial comment on our culture. What he's been doing is going around the world, but all the photos I'm going to show you are photos he took in our country, and for those of you like me from the South, they're from the South, of people like us, and then he goes in and he digitally removes something from the photos, and by digitally removing this, 
he's editorially making a comment on our culture. So I want to show you these photos, and as you see them, I want you to, to get at, see what you think has been removed. Now here's what I want to say. All of you are going to get this, and you're going to get it pretty quick, but I want you to not say anything once you get it so that everybody has time to get along. It's only 30 to 35 seconds that we're going to be watching this. So let's all get it, but give everybody else a chance. Let's look at it together right now. So my guess is uh, all of you got it. Uh, they've removed the screens. The screens have been removed. And he's making a comment on it because I, not just phones, it's about screens. Now, if you're new to Community Christian, I think I need to say up front that you, you may not know, but we aren't one of those churches that now what you're about to hear is where I go in and I declare all screens to be evil and of the devil, and we got to all have a big bonfire and get rid of all our screens. In fact. If you're paying attention, there was a part just in the service where somebody said to you, hey, we want you to get out your phones because we want to use this technology. And so, I mean, I've got a note right on the screen right now to tell you there are notes for this talk uh, at ashleyparkchurch.com and even a link to photos and more like that, uh, at that uh, in that note section. So you can go there while I'm talking. So this isn't about that. We aren't the church that says, hey, things used to be really good and holy, and now everything has gone to crap and it's all evil. That's, that's not who we are. But here's what I want to say. For us to ignore this thing that has become such a big part of our life, um, it probably isn't really very smart. I mean, what I want you to do is just think for a moment what those photos would have looked like 10 years ago. I mean, just a decade in 2009, because this device that we all carry on us now, it's barely a decade old. It's a little over a decade old, and most of us haven't had one that long. What would those photos have looked like, not 50 years ago, but just a decade ago? I mean, now almost all of us have one of these things on our body. We're carrying it around, and there's actually a clinical diagnosis for anxiety disorder caused by not knowing where your phone is. I mean, it's a clinical diagnosis of anxiety that's caused by, I don't know what I did with my phone. And many of us have felt that, the fear of, I, I don't know where I put my phone. So we're on our phones all the time. We're connected to it, and we know that that can be dangerous. And I don't mean like just metaphorically dangerous. It can be physically dangerous. In fact, I want to show you some video of this, and some of you have probably seen this video, and I have to say up front as a disclaimer, I know it says more about me than you probably want to know, but I think this stuff is really, really funny. In fact, part of getting ready for this is me watching this video and figuring out what part I'm going to show you. And again, I apologize up front for how funny I think this is. But let's watch how dangerous this could be together. Let's watch this. Hey. 
Okay, so most of us understand how dangerous it can be to be walking somewhere and not paying attention on your phone, but these devices that could be so good for us to connect us, they're dangerous in other ways in that they have the potential to disconnect us from each other, from ourselves, and from God. So I want to take a few minutes today in, in preparing for the best Christmas ever and I talk to you about the presence of present, present of presence. I, I want to talk to you about this thing of, of, the, of the phone that you have on you right now. And to, do, to talk to you about this technology part, I, I want to read something to you that admittedly is thousands of years ago. It's written by a guy named Paul. It's something we looked at in a series just a few months ago called Better Thoughts. And openly, I'll just admit, he's not talking about phones, not smartphones. He's not talking about dumb phones. There were no phones he's talking about, but I want to apply what he has to say to this idea of giving the present a presence. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul is asking followers of Jesus to honor him with their lives, their, their whole life, including our screens. And it isn't just that the main point of this kind of thing is that it's not just that I'm getting at the motivation for, for how do I honor God uh, with this because I need to figure out God's angry at me and I need to honor him because he's really angry. That's not the motivation Paul gives. In fact, if somebody told you God's really angry at you and mad at you, that's not the reason you obey God because God's going to get you. If, instead, Paul says the motivation, our motivation should be because of his mercies. In light of God's mercy, I want you to give yourself to God. Now, if you don't know anything else about this book, uh, this book of Romans, here's what I want to tell you. This is what we just read is in the latter part of this book. Paul's been spending, building a case, and he gets halfway in this book that he's, he's been saying, hey, everything in your life belongs to God because God has done everything he can to give himself to you. God is for you. He's not against you. In fact, it reaches its peak when right about the middle of it, he says these words. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So he says, now because of that, because God has done so much for you, in light of God's love and mercy for you, you ought to present your life, your whole life, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to him. And Paul makes a point of it's a living sacrifice because he's not saying, I want you to go back and make some kind of artificial sacrifice that's not you. I want you to take you, your whole life, and I want you to put this on the altar. Now, there's a paraphrase of the Bible called the message, and I wouldn't use it for everything, but I love the way the message translates this part. It, it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. 
Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work life, your walking around life, I might add, your screen life. I want you to place it before God on the altar as an offering. In light of God's mercy, I want you to take your whole life, everything in your life, and I want you to sit it on the altar before God and go, God, this is my life, my whole life, my everyday walking around life. This is yours. You have jurisdiction over every part of this that I give to you. That what I say, what I watch, what I do, what I post, what I think, I give all of that to you. I want to honor you with every part of my life. Now that is where I want us to start this discussion on screens. That we are to submit every part of our life, including our screen life, to God. Now let me, let me just be clear. This is the point where you start, if you're a follower of Jesus, with every part of your life. This is where you start with money. God, I give you all of this, not some arbitrary 10%. I give all of this to you. How do you want to use this? I give you my sexuality, all of it, what I feel about it, what I do with it. All of this belongs to you. It's all yours. And, of course, that includes this, my, my screen what do I do with this? What do I post on this? What do I take photos of with this? What do I do with this? I want to honor you completely with this. Now, that's not the way we normally think about putting it all there. In fact, there's this old story, I don't know whether it's true or not, about the Knights Templar in the medieval time, which is the time of the Crusades, that you know, Christianity rightfully gets a bad name over uh, being involved in the Crusades and going and killing people in the name of Jesus, which, let's just be clear, it wasn't. Jesus didn't command any of that. But the Knights Templar were a part of that. And there's a story of before they would go into battle, the Knights Templar would be baptized, and they were baptizing them with their swords. But when they were immersing them underwater, they would tell them to hold their sword arm and their sword out of the, way, uh, out of the water. It was a way of saying, I give my whole self to you, Jesus, but not this killing part. Not this part that I have to keep unholy. You can have all of me, but this killing part I have to keep for myself. Now, I think some of us, if we were honest today, we'd have to go, I take this part and I give everything to you, but not this part. Not what I watch on here, not what I post on here, not what I think politically about what happens on here, not what I say on here, not how I try to manipulate on here. I take all of it, I give you everything, but I don't give you this. I hold this out. And then he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's just saying, Hey, don't just fit into the pattern of this world. It, don't, don't just do what everybody else is doing with the things that are going on in your life. And the idea that Paul is getting at here is there is a mold that's trying to push us into. And let me just say to you, if you don't have a plan not to fit in the mold on, on what you think and what you do and what you do on screen time, if you, if you don't have a plan for how not to be in that mold, you will be in that mold. To not have a plan is to allow the mold to just shape you. You, you think you, your thing is going to match up with everybody else. The way you do is pretty much going to match up with everybody else. He says, you don't want to be conformed 
So you have to be transformed, and the way you're transformed is by renewing your mind. Again, the New Living Translation says that you do it by changing the way that you think. So you're either going to be conformed to what everybody else is thinking, or you're going to be transformed by allowing God to change the way you think. So, there are a lot of things that I could talk to you on just that topic about changing the way you think when it comes to this deal of, of, of our screens in light of what I just said to you. I, I could talk to you about looking at what Paul has to say with regard to uh, using as just a filter for everything. He starts out by saying, offer your bodies, and we would put in there our, our screens, offer them uh, to God, holy and pleasing to God. And so we could just say, hey, is, is what you do on this screen, is it holy and pleasing to God? And some of you automatically go to pornography, and I get it, that's something you seriously ought to consider. Obviously not holy and pleasing to God. But it's not just that, if you don't have a problem with that. It's, it's what you're saying to people. Is it holy and pleasing to God? And I can talk a lot about that kind of thing, but again, I don't have time for that today because... That's not the focus of this message. This message, again, I remind you, is about the present, being present, so that we can have the best Christmas ever. So for a few minutes, I want to challenge you about something and get in the way of that. I want to talk to you about your screen time. Now, I'm not an iPhone guy, but I understand in the latest update on iPhones that there is an app that will show you how much time you spend on your screen. I'm an Android guy, and so that app is not native to Android, but you can download one, and I did in preparation for this, and uh, I just let it calculate, like it does in the background, how much time I spend on the screen. And then it does this thing of differentiating between time you were spent as productive, which already, if you look into it, is really interesting what they count as productive versus non-productive. Uh, but needless to say, when I looked at the number, the number was, was way bigger than I thought it would be. It was bigger than I thought it would be. And that's not even counting the time that I spend on my laptop or I spend on TV or spend talking on the phone. It was just the time I spend looking at the phone. Uh, very, very uh, uh, confrontive to me when I saw the number. And then I dug into the data, and I noticed another part of the app was it took my age, and it measured me against other people at my age, and I went, oh, I'm not so bad. I do that with everything. Oh, at least I'm not as bad as somebody else. But what I found was I spend way more time on that than if you just asked me before I had the app. I spend way more time on it than I thought I spent on it. Here's what I learned about our generation about us. We spend a lot of time, if you didn't know it, on our screens. In fact, the average American will spend 14 years of their life looking at a screen. In fact, one of the studies I read said that 68% of 18 to 34-year-olds don't go one hour of their waking life without picking up and checking their phones. 74% of 18 to 34-year-olds said that my phone is the last thing they see before they go to sleep, and it's the first thing they see when they wake up. Now, before all of you who are older than 34 begin to remark on how our gener younger generation is going to hell, I'll just say to you that when you look at the data for 60-year-olds and olders and smartphones, 
Our numbers are statistically not much different. They are different, but we're in the margin of error range. That for those of us who are older, we're still in the range of we spend a lot of time. In fact, for many of us, if we just be honest, there aren't many hours of our day that we're not checking in on email or texting or, or some social kind of thing, or at least the news, that we're not looking at a screen, checking into a screen to figure out what's going on. It's just our world. In fact, one of the things that I looked at in, in getting prepared for this is the New York Times had done a whole bunch of series on internet and screen and the addiction kind of culture that's surrounding that. And one of the things that I read is called The Rise of the Toilet Texter. You're really going to want to pay attention to this. And it says 75% of smartphone users, well, let's just be clear, that's three out of all the people, so you don't want to react too much at this point, but three out of every four people listening to me right now, you fit in this, that 75% of smartphone users are on their phone while they're going to the bathroom. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? But what's even more interesting is they said a full 30%, so one out of three people sitting around you, they won't go to the bathroom if they can't take their phone with them. They're like, hey, if it's not charged, I'm just not going to go do that. I'm just going to wait. I'm not going in there by myself for sure. And that, that's an interesting kind of thing. Uh, the New York Times had an article called Resist the Internet, uh, warning about how much uh, we're constantly connected to it through our phones. Here's what the author said. They, our phones, are the masters. We are not. They are built to addict us, to madness, to distract us, to arouse us, to deceive us. We pimp and perform for them as for a lover. We surrender our privacy to their demands. We wait on tender hooks for every like. The smartphone is the saddle, and it rides mankind. So here's the question. This is what I want us to think about real clearly. Am I being conformed to this world when it comes to my screen time. Now, it would be hard for most of us who have one on our body right now or in your phone waiting for you that you can't get back to, or your car waiting for you to get, you can't wait to get back to, to admit that we aren't. I, I mean, it'd be hard for us to say that we aren't being conformed a little bit about it. I, I don't have time to get into this. Maybe we'll do a whole series on this later next year. But... I believe there's some wonderful things that can be done on the phone because here's what I believe. This is true about our God. Our God is in the business of redeeming all things. And he can redeem the smartphone. There are great ways to make use of this technology, and we're trying to do this. But I also totally agree with what Paul writes. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. He says, if you do that, then here's what will happen. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And here's what I know. When we're conformed to the pattern of this world, and we're all consistently connected to this device that rides us, it's the saddle and it rides us, when it comes to wanting to hear from God on some particular point, you can't hear it because you're so in tune with what's coming at you from the screen and the noise that's going on. And you can't hear the small voice of God. And when you disconnect from it, it still speaks to you loudly in your head, and you can't hear God's voice. So what needs to happen? Well, we need to break away. we got to break the mold. 
We don't have to break the device. We have to break the mold of how we spend screen time. So here's what I've been driving at for this whole message. Now we're to it. As we prepare for the best Christmas ever, which is just 10 days away, I want to urge you to go with me on a digital detox over the next seven days. In fact, right now, and invite those of you who are going to help me at Ashley Park by passing out the, the digital detox paper I have, if you would stand up now and begin to pass those out. And here's what I want to say to you as you receive those. Don't begin to try to read that right now. Please listen to what I have to say to you. I'm inviting you, along with me and, and Becky, uh, our family, I'm inviting you to go on a seven-day adventure of a digital detox where we try to break out of this mold where we're being ridden by our culture in this way. And here's what I want to say. Some of you are younger, you younger, particularly teenagers, you're going to have to leave this in your family because your mom and dad are going to come up with all kinds of reasons that they can't do it. You're going to have to say to them, oh, come on, come on. Let's try this. Let's do this together. I want to encourage you to go on this digital detox. And again, I just want to, it'll give you something to do and it'll build slowly over time. Like for instance, today, it's just challenging you that for two hours before you go to bed tonight, two hours before you go to bed tonight, don't touch your phone two hours before you go to bed. Some of you are like, well, that ain't no big deal. All right, then do it. If it ain't no big deal, then just do it. And then there's something for you to do the next day, and it'll just continually build as we begin to detox from being fit into this mold when it comes to our screens. And it'll end with all of us coming back together next Sunday, two days before Christmas, for the last Sunday of Advent, as we celebrate, maybe having broken a mold and found some freedom, and hearing the voice of God more clearly as we celebrate his presence with us. And here's what I know. We might have the opportunity to give to somebody the best Christmas ever, particularly those that are closest to us, as we break away and we provide them the present of our presence broken away from a screen. If you bow right now, I want to pray for you. God, I, I pray that you'll help us. I know that there are people listening to this and they don't think it's a big deal, and I know there are others that are thinking of all the reasons they can't do it, and there's work, and I, I get their things. I'm not trying, God, to get us to have some new law tacked on that we have to feel guilty about. It's the spirit of us trying to follow you and honor you in this thing too. God, would you help us to present our whole lives to you, our waking, our everyday, walking around, screen time life, put it on the altar and give it to you. Thank you for Jesus for dying for us. Thank you for your grace. And so now we have the privilege of offering ourselves to you, a living sacrifice. It's in your name I pray. Amen.